We're going to continue in John 4. Um, last week we looked at John 4, 1 to 6. We read 1 to 6. The focus is going to be on 7 to 18. The title of my sermon is Living Water. The big idea, here it is, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus for living water and eternal fulfillment. You know, all of us are prone, and I think you'll agree with me, all of us because of sin are prone to what C.S. Lewis referred to as an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Okay, one more time. All of us, because of sin, are prone to, and I think this is from Screwtape Letters, we are prone to what Lewis referred to as an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Who's ever tasted salt water? Hopefully not on purpose. You weren't that desperate where you're like, I got to have some H2O. Does salt water taste good? Somebody said yes. Not the response I was hoping for. No. It, everybody say no. It's terrible. It's not good for you, right? All the world can offer us is salt water. The thing about salt water is it will never quench your thirst. It actually leaves you thirsty for more, right? It makes you more thirsty, it can't quench your thirst. In fact, when you take it in, it just makes you more thirsty. You know, over the years, I've met with dozens and dozens of men who struggle with pornography. Every time a man gives in to pornography, it results in more cravings and less pleasure. Right? The things of this world cannot satisfy. As one brother writes... The root of sin, this is really helpful, the root of sin is pursuing happiness in something other than God. And sin produces an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Only Jesus can satisfy. Amen? Only Jesus can satisfy because only Jesus can provide living water. Now, a quick word on context. And then we're just going to dive in. Notice how, if you were listening as Brother Kobe read the passage, and if you were here last week, notice how the emphasis moves from the humanity of Jesus, that's verse 6 in John 4, to the deity of Jesus, and that's verses 7 to 18. Jesus, we learn in our passage, is the source. He is the source of eternal life. And then he demonstrates his supernatural knowledge in pointing out this woman's sinful lifestyle. John wants us to see that Jesus is the God-man, truly God and truly man, come to bring salvation to all peoples and the only one who can satisfy our souls for how long? Forever. Now, what do we see in our passage? I want to focus on three things. And again, we're going to be looking primarily at verses 7 to 18. Here they are. Number one, the heart of man. And I'm going to term this the problem. This is the problem, the heart of man. Okay, that's the first thing we're going to look at, the heart of man, which is the problem. Next, number two, we'll look at the gift of God, and that is the solution. Heart of man, everybody say problem. Gift of God, solution. And then the third thing we're going to look at is the example of Christ, which is the result. The example of Christ, which is the result. So let's start with number one, the heart of man, the problem. The heart of man is what? It's wicked. It's wicked. You know, I, I hate most Disney movies, not all of them, 
But there's this common theme in a lot of Disney movies. Look to your heart. Look inside of you. There's a hero inside of you. Listen to your heart. Isn't that a song? I'm not going to sing it, by the way, but listen to your heart. That is horrible advice. That's not wisdom. That's foolishness. That's the message of this world. The heart of man is the problem. The heart of man is wicked and looks to the world for fulfillment. Again, we naturally, because of sin, look to the world and the things of this world for fulfillment. And the Samaritan woman, she exemplifies this, okay? That's what we're going to see this morning. She exemplifies this. Now, several things stand out about this woman, and I want to highlight four. How many? Okay, stay with me here. Four things I want to highlight. Again, because of sin, mankind will look to anything other than Jesus for right standing with God. The problem is that nothing but Christ will do. Amen? Nothing but Christ will do. That's John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So four things. First, the woman from Samaria tried to maintain the status quo. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, she's speaking to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then you have this explanation. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, and I'll explain why in a bit. Now, I'm going to argue that this was a works-based approach. The woman thought perhaps that by doing what the world and culture and tradition approved of, that she'd be okay. If I just do the right things, I'll be okay. Again, Samaritans had no dealings with Jews and vice versa. It's this mindset of, if I'm good, if I just follow the rules, then I'll be okay. But that's legalism, right? That's legalism. Are you tempted, let me ask this question, are you tempted this morning to look to culture and culture's approval for peace, joy, and satisfaction. And we all struggle here. And if you say you don't, you're a liar. And here's why. We all struggle here because we are all, by nature, glory stealers. We love glory. We want to be able to say, look what I did, God. I deserve this. This is me. It's because of me. That's not the gospel. Second, the woman clung to her lineage. Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, this may be akin to those who consider themselves spiritual or religious today. Some here today may be trusting in their own spiritual heritage or their spiritual track record. Rather, than the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe thinking, well, Chris, I grew up in church. I even read my Bible sometimes, right? I'm, I'm sure I'm good with God. I do these things. But I ask you, do you trust in Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus? Is he your Savior, your Lord, and your King? Do you truly treasure Jesus above all else, and are you looking to him alone for a right relationship with God? Third, and I think this is probably the most obvious, the woman highly valued her physical needs and was ignorant to her greater spiritual need. Verse 15, 
<laughs> Listen to her excitement. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, right? Jesus says, If you take the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. She says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The woman from Samaria wanted her best life now. She longed for a life of ease. She thought having her physical needs met could bring true and lasting joy and satisfaction. You know, I I meet people like this all the time, and I'm sure you have as well, right? They think that having an abundance of money or the right career or that new truck can bring lasting joy and peace and satisfaction, but that's a lie. That is a lie. Finally, the woman from Samaria looked to men to fulfill and satisfy her. And that's verses 16 to 18. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. I think this may be the most startling thing that Jesus says in our entire passage. In these verses, verses 16 to 18, Jesus disarms the woman. And he draws attention to the thing that she treasured most, the approval of men. Jesus, revealing his super... How did Jesus know this, by the way? How did he know this? We know, because he's... He's God, right? He knows everything. Jesus, revealing his supernatural knowledge, is aware of this woman's pattern of sexual sin. The woman has been looking to men to satisfy her, and she's now on her sixth man. Only Jesus, only Jesus, the God-man, can fully satisfy. Only Jesus can fulfill. Only Jesus can give life. Here's what I want us to see. These are the common traps. These, these four things that I mentioned that I see in our passage, these are the common traps humanity is prone to fall into. These are the idols that mankind looks to and hopes in. Number one, works. Number two, religion. Number three, wealth and ease. And number four, sex or relationships. The problem, what's the problem? None of these things can fix the problem. That's the problem. None of these things, these things that the woman hoped in and looked to could not fix her problem. They could not satisfy her or grant her peace and everlasting hope. In fact, they are the problem. Right? These four things are the problem, or better stated, they function to reveal the problem. I love this quote from John Calvin. You know, say what you want about John Calvin, but I promise you'll agree with this quote. The human heart is an idle factory. (laughs) What is is the human heart good at doing? Producing what? Idols. The Samaritan woman was an idolater. Her heart was an idol factory. What then is the solution to mankind's problem? That brings us to point number two. The gift of God, which is the what? It's the solution. The gift of God. Whose gift? God's gift. That's the solution. Heart of man. 
That's the problem. It's wicked. It's an idol factory. But the gift of God, that's the solution. And that's where we turn to now. Verse 10, verses 13 and 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, right, the water from the well, is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never, everybody say never. It's a big word. It's an important word. Will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's a beautiful image, right? What stands out in these verses? This is Bible study 101, right? Oftentimes we circle key words or phrases, things that stick out, maybe things that are theologically weighty. If I just read this quickly in passing, these are the three things that I would highlight. The gift of God, living water, and eternal life. Now, here's the question. Who is the subject and source in these verses? Who's the one that gives living water? Well, listen, twice, twice Jesus says of this living water, I will give it. Who's the subject and the source? Jesus, I will give it. Jesus presents himself as the source of eternal life. What he himself gives leads to eternal life. Who alone can make such a claim? I mean, come on. Who can say this? Jesus' identity is being unveiled. He is fully man, yes. We saw that last week from verse 6. But he's also fully God. What is Jesus offering this woman? Again, she's been looking to the world. We've already seen that. She's been looking to the things of this world for satisfaction. What does Jesus offer her? Jesus offers her living water. What's that? That sounds good, right? Man, I want some of that water. Pastor Chris, where do you get that water? Where's it at? I want that living water. I mean, what, what is this living water? What is it? Well, let me ask this question. Where does the language of living water come from? Now, the Old Testament background demands our attention. But first, let's look to the immediate context, which is John's gospel, specifically John 7. John 7 is really helpful here. Again, we're trying to identify what is this gift of God, this living water that Jesus offers? He gives it. What is it? John 7, 38 to 39, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, and I would underline that, believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Ooh, that's good, right? Let me read that one more time. Whoever believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Who gets the Spirit? Those who believe in Jesus. And then it says, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified, referring to his resurrection and ascension. Here we see that the gift is directly linked to faith in Jesus. 
And with that, we see that the living water spoken of earlier is here identified as the Holy Spirit. What about the Old Testament background? I'm going to start with Isaiah 12, verse 3. Isaiah 12, verse 3. It says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Ooh. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Here, water and salvation are spoken of together. Water is therefore used as an image for salvation. And then Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, which is one of my all-time favorite passages in the whole Bible. This is a promise of what God would do in the future. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. What's the problem? Our hearts are a what? They're an idol factory. And what's the promise here? God says, I'm going to cleanse you from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And then verse 26, and I'll give you a new heart. I mean, what do we need? What's wrong with us? We have a what? A sinful heart, a heart that longs for the things of this world. But God promises, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you. There it is. I'm going to, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you a spiritual heart transplant. And I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, in this passage, in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, the image of cleansing water for forgiveness and the pouring out of God's Spirit are spoken of together. One more passage from the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, verse 1 and verse 5. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And then verse 5. Who's this water for? Is it just for the Jews, I wonder? Who's it for? Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Oh, this water will be for the nations and not just Israel, which is clearly demonstrated by Jesus in our passage. Where is he? He's in Samaria. Samaritans were half-breeds, right? Jews and Samaritans did not get along, which we'll look at more closely here in a minute. According to the Old Testament, if you are listening, the gift of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit went together and are both found in whom? Jesus. Remember, it's the Spirit of God, it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates the spiritually dead, uniting us to the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who have the Son have the Spirit, and those who have the Spirit have eternal life. Let me say that again. Those who have the Son have the Spirit, and those who have the Spirit have eternal life. Those who have the Son have the Spirit, and those who have the Spirit have eternal life. I'm going to keep going until we all say it together. I'm just kidding. But I want you to hear that. Can we look at more passage in the New Testament? Paul's really helpful here. This is Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with what? The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until 
we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I want you to follow Paul's logic here. Those who have trusted in Jesus have the Holy Spirit, and those who have the Holy Spirit have the guarantee of what? Eternal life. Those who have Jesus have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and those who have the Holy Spirit are recipients of eternal life. Again, it's the Spirit. Everybody say the Spirit. It's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that unites us to the eternal Son of God. How long has Jesus been around? Forever. It's the Spirit that unites us to the eternal Son of God, in whom eternal life is found. Jesus offers us eternal life in the Spirit, which brings everlasting refreshment. Are you thankful for his gift? Now, what's the point of our passage? Only Jesus. Everybody say, only Jesus. Oh, we got to get that. Only Jesus, the one who gives the Holy Spirit and eternal life, can truly satisfy humanity. Come to Jesus for life. Come to Jesus for fulfillment. Come to Jesus for peace. As Matt Carter notes, coming to God in salvation is pictured, this is so good, as a free and open source of water. Every need is met. Our deep spiritual thirst is finally and fully quenched in Christ. Have you had your spiritual thirst quenched? Only in Christ. Only in Christ. Now, what's the result? What's the result? If you've received the gift, you've received the Spirit, you're a recipient of eternal life, what's the result? That's number three, the example of Christ, the result. Here, we'll look at the example of Jesus in evangelism. Jesus goes to hard places. Jesus goes to hard people. He takes the initiative and points to himself as the source of life. If we, everybody look around. If you're a Christian, look around. Okay, There's other Christians in here. If we are to follow Christ's example in evangelism, we too must go to hard places and hard people and always take the initiative in pointing people to Jesus as the source of life and the giver of the Holy Spirit. You know, point two results in our ability to do point three. Those who have the Spirit have the power to follow Christ's example. Those who have the Spirit have the power to follow whose example? Christ's example. Not only, this is so helpful, not only is the gift of the Spirit the guarantee of eternal life, but the Spirit transforms us to live like who? Like Jesus. Again, what stands out? What stands out in our passage? What stands out about Jesus' example? Jesus is the evangelist par excellence. He goes to hard places. He goes to hard people. He takes the initiative, and he always points to himself as the source of life. So if we're going to follow Christ's example, I want us to look at three things here, okay? Number one, Jesus goes to hard places. Now, if Jesus goes to hard places, who else should be willing to go to hard places? We should. I told you I'd give you a little bit of historic background on the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. It was not sweet by any means. Jews were not welcome in Samaria. 
Strict Jews held Samaritans in disdain. And yet Jesus goes there to declare good news. All of us, all of us are called to hard places to share the gospel because all of us are called to share the gospel in this world, a world that is opposed to Christ and his message. This is a hard place. It's true. It's a hard place. Friend, look at me. Jesus calls us to go to hard places. Your neighborhood, your schools, your office, maybe even across the globe. But remember this. This is helpful, friend. He promises to be with us. He calls us to go to hard places because he went to hard places. But as we go, we can know that he is with us. By the Spirit, Jesus empowers us to go to hard places. And when we go to hard places, Jesus is with us by the Spirit. So that's the first thing I want us to see in Jesus' example. As an evangelist, Jesus goes to what? Goes to hard places. Number two, Jesus goes to hard people. He goes to hard people. The the Samaritan woman was not the ideal disciple. Far from it. Most Jews would have considered her a half-breed or worse. Listen to this description from Andreas Kostenberger and Daryl Bach. This is is heavy. (laughs) Samaritans were thought to convey uncleanness by what they lay, sat, or rode on, as well as by their saliva and urine. they just nasty. That's the way Jews looked at Samaritans. Samaritan women, like Gentiles, were considered to be in a continual state of ritual uncleanness. Therefore, it could be assumed that association with a Samaritan woman would render one unclean. Now, what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus makes the unclean clean. Amen? Because Jesus came to take our uncleanness on the cross. For a Jew, this is so sad, man. For a Jew, a Samaritan was among the least respected of people. As one scholar notes, Samaritans had their own version of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and their own rendering of Israelite history. And maybe you didn't know this. Furthermore, in the past, Samaritans had combined bits and pieces of pagan worship with worship of Yahweh. Again, Jews and Samaritans could not be any more different. Plus, given the woman's marital track record, she had likely what kind of reputation in her community? Less than stellar, right? Less than stellar. And yet Jesus went to her. Why? Why did Jesus go to her? Do you wonder? Why did he go to her? A Samaritan. A woman. And again, not a fine reputation. Why would he go to her? Well, because Jesus loves sinners. Amen? That's Mark 10, 21. And because according to Luke 19, 10, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, Jesus calls us to go to hard people, just like he calls us to go to hard places. Again, hard people, that could be your neighbor across the street, your classmate or your teammate, 
your coworker, or maybe, maybe even an unreached people group thousands of miles away. But remember this. He promises to be with us. By the Spirit, Jesus empowers us to go to hard people. And when we go to hard people, Jesus is with us by the Spirit. And then lastly, again, we're talking about Jesus' example in evangelism. Jesus takes the initiative and he points to himself as the source of life. What I love about our passage is that Jesus takes the initiative. What I love about the Bible is that Jesus takes the initiative. This is what Jesus does. He took the initiative in leaving heavenly glory and coming to a fallen world. And he takes the initiative to speak to a woman that most would have completely ignored. He takes the initiative in addressing her problem. And he takes the initiative in pointing her to the solution, which is himself. Amen? Friend, friend, listen, Jesus calls us to take the initiative and point people to him. He calls us to address their problems, their idols and their unbelief, and he calls us to point them to him. But remember this, don't forget, I've said it twice already, remember this, he promises to be with us by the Spirit Jesus empowers us to take the initiative and point people to him. And when we do, Jesus is with us by the Spirit. Who likes Gatorade? Drinking that Haterade. I love Gatorade. What does Gatorade do? What's their slogan? It's been around for a long time. Quench your what? Quench your thirst. I want a Gatorade right now. Who's got one? Just throw it to me. Every human being who's ever lived has longed to have their spiritual thirst quenched. The problem is that because of sin, we look in all the wrong places. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only he can fulfill. Because only Jesus can give us what? Living water. Come to him today and drink Trust in him as Lord and Savior. Accept, accept his gift of salvation. Admit your sin and stop looking foolishly to the things of this world to satisfy you. That's salt water. It will never satisfy you. It will only leave you wanting for more. Look to the one who lived a perfect life who fully obeyed God's law for us, who died on the cross for sinners, and who rose again to bring sinners like us into eternal fellowship with God. These are fighting words, I know, but we are more like the woman. Did pastor just call me a woman? I said we're more like the woman. We are. All of us, we're more like the woman. Worried about the things of this world and looking to the world to do for us what only Christ can do for us. Again, like the woman, we don't naturally know where to go for living water. And like the woman, all of us need a supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ. Amen? Come to Jesus for living water. Come to Jesus for life. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by your word 
in the good news that we've read about and studied this morning, the reminder that, Jesus, you are the source and the giver of eternal life. You are the giver of the Spirit that is the guarantee of eternal life. We thank you for your wonderful example, Jesus, that you willingly went to hard places and to hard people, and you took the initiative, and you pointed people to yourself, the source of eternal life. Father, I pray that everyone in this room would come to Jesus for living water, and I pray for those who have. May they, by the Spirit, follow your example, Jesus. May we, all of us, be willing to go to hard places and hard people and take the initiative to point those people to the living Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died for sinners on the cross, and rose again to provide the greatest gift imaginable, eternal life with an eternal God, eternal salvation from what all of us deserve, and that is hell. We thank you for this good news. We rejoice because of it. May we boldly share it with others this week. Give us opportunities to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.